Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, now on justthenews.com, a digital site dedicated to facts, not spin, and stories that cut across the grain. I hope you'll subscribe to this and our other Just the News podcasts, John Solomon Reports, and the Pod's Honest Truth with the Christian Broadcasting Network's David Brody. Today, I have some new and interesting information about coronavirus fatality rates and maybe how what you hear is not necessarily reflective of the true risk. And I also have a list of U.S. deaths and what we know about the people so far who have died in the United States, sort of a snapshot in time. So stay tuned for our podcast. In talking through fatality rates with coronavirus, I want to emphasize, obviously, this is a fast-moving target. The numbers are changing by the minute. So what I'm providing is more of a snapshot in time of what we know to date, rather than something that is to be taken comprehensively or something that trumps more official or more recent information that may come out from sources like the White House or the CDC. You can go to cdc.gov for the latest information on coronavirus at any time. The question that I'm asking today is, is the death risk from coronavirus really getting smaller or is our math getting better? And I say that because since the start of this whole crisis, there have been some pretty frightening death rates publicized. China's death rate was said to be approaching a very scary 4%. That's way, way higher than the death rate for seasonal flu, according to CDC, which they said is something less than one-tenth of 1%. So compare that to approaching 4% for coronavirus. But I had a question all along. How is this death rate being calculated? Is the death rate among the very sick patients, in other words, out of 100 sick patients, four of them die from coronavirus? That's a much higher number than you would get if you actually added in all the people who are infected but who are not very sick, which is the vast majority, according to experts. Something like 86% or more will carry an infection or be infection, but either be asymptomatic with no symptoms, never even know they're sick, or have such mild symptoms that they don't know it or they're never diagnosed. So I wanted to know, is that scary death rate counting only the sick people, which makes it scarier than it may actually be, or does it include an estimate of everybody who's been infected and how many of all infections actually succumb with a fatality? Well, even worse, a February study put out by the World Health Organization publicized that the mortality rate for people over age 80, the death rate, was one in five, maybe even a little higher, 21.9%. Again, very scary, unless they're just counting the death rate among the very elderly sick and not among the total elderly population or the total elderly infected. In any event, lately that 4% figure that you may have heard reported has drifted downward. The fatality rate in Wuhan, China, where the outbreak is believed to be from, was estimated at 1.4% in a recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine. You can look this up at 
NEJM.org, New England Journal of Medicine. The fatality rate study from China was, it says, supported by the National Health Commission of China and approved by the Institutional Review Board of the National Health Commission of China. So they say now they're estimating the death rate at 1.4% in Wuhan, China, where it was really, really bad, instead of 4%. So, you know, is it becoming less deadly, or is our math getting better? I want to say right here that nothing in this discussion is intended to minimize the serious risks that can come from coronavirus infections. That's not the point. In the U.S., there have been well over 6,500 confirmed cases of coronavirus and over 100 deaths at the time I'm recording this, mostly among the sick and elderly. And the modeling of how our health system could be overwhelmed, particularly by respiratory patients, maybe without enough equipment. Well, the modeling hasn't been publicly released, but obviously the projections are so chilling, it's caused us to basically shut down the country. The hope is that Social distancing and self-quarantines can reduce the transmission of coronavirus and spread out the infections so they happen at a slower rate and they don't overwhelm America's hospitals and doctors all at once. But no matter how bad it gets, I think it's important to get an accurate picture of what scientists are calling mortality rates for coronavirus. And there are a couple of major issues with how some have been calculated so far. First, Experts most often cite an overall death rate for coronavirus, but we know deaths in the U.S. and elsewhere are largely concentrated in the sick and elderly. So using an average death rate exaggerates the appearance of the risk to everybody else. Public health officials have not hesitated to publicize the alarming death rate among the elderly, but they have not similarly publicized the mortality rate for those under age 50 or 60 or for children. And there may yet be cases of children who sadly succumb to the virus here in the U.S., especially if they are immune-suppressed or already ill. But the current unpublicized death rate for U.S. kids, as of right now when I'm recording this, is zero. It's easy to figure because there haven't been any. There's a second issue when it comes to the accuracy of the coronavirus death rate estimates. I touched on this a moment ago, but experts in many cases, are calculating a figure by dividing the number of deaths, follow me here, by the number of people who tested positive. The problem is most people who have or have had coronavirus have not been tested or diagnosed, according to experts, and probably won't be because they have few or no symptoms. Why is this important? Well, to exaggerate, to make an example, when the first U.S. death from coronavirus was the only one with a positive test, the death rate using this calculus would be 100%, 100% death rate. Of course, it's not a 100% fatality disease. If scientists are correct, at least 86% of cases are untested and or asymptomatic, the true death rate would be fractional, even though we'd only tested one patient. So I posed several questions about this to CDC to make sure I had the most accurate information and got my facts straight. I asked how the agency calculates fatality rates and whether they take into account the majority of the infected who do not get sick at all. And I asked the CDC to provide the mortality rate among the young. They answered a lot of my other questions. I'll have another podcast about that in the future, but not these specific questions. I mean, they answered them, but they didn't provide the answers to them. 
So I'm going to read the questions I asked along with CDC's full answer. First, I asked, how is fatality rate for coronavirus calculated? Is the one we hear the number of deaths among the very sick or the positive tested? What about the majority of people who aren't diagnosed and don't know they have it, which would be a much larger denominator when calculating? CDC said, mortality for COVID-19 appears higher than for influenza, especially seasonal influenza. While the true mortality of COVID-19 will take some time to fully understand, WHO, the World Health Organization, currently estimates that the crude mortality ratio is between 3 to 4%. For seasonal influenza, mortality is usually well below one-tenth of 1%. However, mortality is to a large extent determined by access and quality of health care. So that did not answer the question of how they calculate fatality rates. And when they threw out the crude mortality ratio between 3 and 4%, that kind of threw up a red flag because I don't know why they used a different phrase. So I looked up crude mortality ratio and I could not find a definition for that. There is crude mortality rate described when I tried to look it up, but not ratio. So what is it they're trying to tell me here and why didn't they just use mortality rate? I've followed up with a question and haven't heard back on that. Next question. What is the death rate among the elderly and the young versus overall death rate? So I want to know what's the death rate among the elderly we know is higher and the young, which we know is very low, versus this average that we often hear. CDC answered, of the more than 153,000 people who have been infected worldwide, more than 5,700 have died. That's a death rate of about 3.7%. Now, as an aside, this is what I'm, I'm telling you the issue is. They're taking, they say 153,500 people have been infected. They don't know that. The number is much larger, according to experts. We may know about 153,000 cases, but the number of infected include an additional 86% plus of people who haven't been tested and don't know they've been infected. So then they say 5,700 have died. Well, that comes out to 3.7% when you're only measuring the people who have tested positive for the infection, but not the whole population of people who've been infected. So CDC goes on to say the death rate, however, varies widely based on age, health, and geographic location. So far, this appears to be a disease that disproportionately impacts older adults. Starting at age 60, CDC says there's an increasing risk of disease and the risk increases with age. The highest risk of serious illness and death is in people older than age 80. A February World Health Organization study says CDC of more than 55,000 cases in China found the highest mortality rate was among people over 80 years of age, 21.9%, more than one in five. Again, does that mean more than one in five of the elderly die of coronavirus? No. Does that mean that more than one in five of the elderly who are infected with coronavirus die? No. It means, apparently, that more than one in five of the elderly who have been diagnosed and became sick or tested positive, died of coronavirus. That's a totally different number. And they ignored the question. You know, they gave the scary figure of the elderly in China, but they ignored my question about the death rate among the young, which again, we know right now is zero in the United States. I asked a follow-up to an initial response that I got 
The follow-up said, officials indicate the fatality rate has declined in recent days from about 3% to about 1.75%. And I asked, is that because the rate is actually going down or do we have a bigger denominator tested? And does that include all of the asymptomatic people who don't know they have it? Or is it a figure among all of the tested and sick? CDC answered this question by saying, for the last question, you're correct. Now, I asked like five different things, and they were all opposite, so I don't know what part of that's correct and which part is not. I've asked a follow-up to that, too. The bottom line, the coronavirus fatality rates, as you often hear, may make them appear worse than they actually are for a majority of the public because they do not include the many undiagnosed asymptomatic cases and because they do not reflect the dramatically elevated risk for the elderly compared to the rest of the population. So the greatest invisible danger might be posed by all of the healthy young people who are infected but will never know it. And the administration has touched upon this as well as health officials have in their recent caveats. Young people who are carrying it, who may never get sick, can unknowingly spread the virus on surfaces and in the air to the vulnerable, particularly the sick and the elderly. But as of today, from a statistical standpoint, in the U.S., the risk of death for young, healthy people is apparently negligible. After a short break, I am actually going to list for you the names and qualities of the fatalities that we know of in the United States so far, which I have tracked to the extent possible one by one up until this date, so that we can get a pretty decent picture of the profile of the most at risk. Now I'd like to go over some statistics. Who are the people in the United States who have passed away so far from coronavirus that we know about. And I have been tracking them one by one, trying to find out as much information as we can, or that's been given out to the public, about each reported coronavirus death in the United States. There's not a lot of information. In fact, some states are giving almost nothing. Uh, Sometimes you just have word of a death with no information, but some states, such as in Washington state, where many of the deaths have occurred, you get quite a bit of information in terms of age and condition of the patient. So I'm going to go over the 114 deaths that I've tracked as of Wednesday, March 18th. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep doing this as the deaths go up because it's too time-consuming and I have other work I have to do. But I think we can get an interesting profile by looking at this snapshot in time, the first 114 after a couple of months here in the United States. We'll go over them one by one, but as an overview, 55 of these deaths, 55 of the 114, occurred in Washington state. 30 of the total U.S. deaths, 30 of the 114, occurred at the same Washington state nursing home. So this is a big number that came from the nursing home. It's still the biggest cluster we have in the United States. The numbers do increase daily, as I said. But we now have 46 deaths in Washington State from King County. King County is where the Life Care Center in Kirkland is located, where 30 of those nursing home deaths came from. Let me back up for just a minute. Who brought coronavirus to the U.S. and specifically to the Washington area? 
Well, it's impossible to know because it's been circulating since at least November 2019 in the world, according to experts. But officials do think they know who the man was who brought coronavirus into the U.S. ahead of the first big publicized outbreak here. He's a 35-year-old man who had just visited family in Wuhan, China. He returned to the U.S., say officials, on January 15th through Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, where he took group transportation with other passengers. Then four days later, on January 19th, he went to a clinic with a fever in Snohomish County, Washington. They say he put on a mask, he was tested, he went back home to wait for the test results, and then the next day the test came back positive, and he was put in a containment unit at Providence Regional Medical Center. That's in Everett, Washington, by the way, in a small unit that was built during the Ebola virus scare. Health officials say they located more than 60 people who had had physical contact with the man. They say none got sick. I think that's interesting. I'm sure they weren't able to locate all of them. I think it'd be hard to find everybody we were in contact with over a period of many days, especially if we came in through an airport. But the man was said to have been recovered by January 30th. So again, he came to the U.S. January 15th, went to a clinic January 19th, was said to be recovered January 30th, where he was discharged and asked to remain isolated at home because they just aren't sure how long somebody is potentially infectious for others. And then three weeks later, he was given the green light. We don't know his name. These are just the details that that we have, which is how this all apparently got to Washington State in the first place. So back to the nursing home deaths. There are 30 from King County Life Care Center in Kirkland in Washington State. The most recently reported ones were a husband and a wife, both in their 80s. Actually, one lived in a small adult group home and another at an assisted independent living facility in Clark County. And there was another Snohomish County death, which I'll talk about in a minute, also recently reported this week, along with the 80-year-old couple. Um, Before that, I'll just give a list. These are from Washington State, King County, man in his 80s, woman 70s, man 80s, woman 50s, woman 70s, and woman in her 90s at Redmond Care and Rehab Center. Then there were two women and two men in sort of a cluster March 14th and 15th from Life Care Center, that nursing home, that died are reported dead anyway, March 14th and March 15th. The dates of their death were a couple of days before. A woman in her 60s at Life Care Center, a woman in her 70s, and two men in their 80s at Life Care Center. Also, I'll just go down, continue to go down this list, a woman in her 70s, two women in their 90s from Life Care Center, a woman in her 80s from Life Care Center, a man in his 70s, man in 80s, Woman in her 70s with underlying health conditions. Sometimes they give this additional information, which usually means they have things like heart disease, pulmonary problems, um, other things like that that are serious chronic conditions. The first two deaths in the U.S. were reported earlier from the Life Care Center in Washington. That was a woman in her 80s and a man in his 50s at Life Care Center. Both of them died on February 26th. The Snohomish County deaths in Washington State are woman 70s with underlying health conditions, 
woman 80s, same, underlying health conditions, same for a man in his 80s who passed away at Josephine Caring Community Assisted Living, a man in his 40s with underlying health conditions. We have no other details, but this is by far the youngest one reported, along with a woman in her 40s with underlying health conditions who died March 16th. So all we know is these, this man and this woman in their 40s had some pre-existing health conditions, but are considered coronavirus deaths in Snohomish County, Washington. There was also a Washington state death from Grant County, a patient in his or her 80s with no other details. And the last ones in Washington state I know of are a woman 90s in assisted living with underlying health conditions, a woman 60s who had been hospitalized in Santa Clara, a man in 71 with underlying health conditions who'd been on the Grand Princess cruise ship, a woman in her 80s in Santa Clara, a woman visitor to L.A. County who had a layover in South Korea. No other details about her or her age. And then one death announced on March 13th with no details given, even the age. Moving on to New York. New York is, as of this recording, the place with the second highest number of coronavirus-reported deaths, 16. And I will go over the information I have on those. There are no details for a couple of the patients. But the ones we do have details on, a man, 69, with underlying medical conditions, including diabetes and high blood pressure, woman, 82, man, 65, with, quote, other significant health issues that contributed to his death, woman, 79, with multiple underlying health issues, man, 78, man, 56, woman, 53, man, 56, who was an investigator with the Department of Corrections there. Man, 89, who had just returned from Italy the week before, and a man, 96. There are, as of the time of this recording, 13 coronavirus deaths reported from California. The ones we have details on are Man, 71, with underlying health conditions who had been on a cruise. Four from Santa Clara County, including a man in his 80s and a man in his 50s, with no other details. There are seven from Florida. What I have on that is there are two people in their 70s who traveled overseas. A woman, 69, who went straight from Asia to California where she died. This may be a duplicate report of one that I mentioned um, under the California list of deaths because it's, or maybe it's another woman who went from Asia to California and died there. There's a man, 77, in Lee County, Florida, who passed away. Woman, 79, hospitalized with other health conditions, but then got coronavirus in Orange County. Man, 77, from a Broward County assisted living facility. And a Manatee County deceased that tested positive with no other details at this time. Louisiana has four, all from Orleans Parish. One patient, 58, hospitalized with underlying health conditions. One person, 84, from Lambeth House Retirement Community, another 80-year-old from Lambeth House Retirement Community, and then no details on one patient. New Jersey, three people. Man, 69, diabetic, who suffered two cardiac arrests. Woman, 50s, no details. Man, 90s. Two from Virginia, both men in their 80s. Two from Indiana, They're said to be simply over 60 with other health problems. 
two from Colorado, including a woman in her 80s with underlying health conditions, two from Texas, including a man in his late 90s, one from South Dakota, a man in his 60s with underlying medical conditions, one from Georgia, a man 67 with underlying medical conditions, one from Kansas, man in his 70s with underlying health conditions at Life Care Center, Kansas City, one from Oregon, a man 70, Portland Veterans Affairs Medical Center with underlying medical conditions, one from Nevada, a man in his 60s with underlying health conditions, one from South Carolina, elderly resident, they simply said elderly, of Lexington Medical Center Extended Care Skilled Nursing Facility, one from Kentucky, a man who had a stroke and pneumonia, but was tested for coronavirus after being admitted to the hospital, and he passed away. And then the last one I have, one from Illinois, a woman in her 60s with underlying medical conditions. Again, the total, that's the first 114 reported U.S. coronavirus deaths by state and age and condition when we know it. So what does it tell us? Well, maybe not a whole lot of what's going to happen in the future, but so far we do see that the concentration of deaths are largely, as the U.S. Surgeon General said, among the elderly and the very old, particularly those who have underlying health conditions and who are sick. So far, at least as of this recording, there have been no deaths in young people, no deaths in children, no deaths reported in babies. Doesn't mean that can't happen, particularly among those who may be immune compromised, but several weeks into this crisis, there haven't been any such serious cases that have led to fatalities. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Agason podcast and my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, as well as the other podcasts from Just the News, wherever you like to listen. Share generously, and don't forget to rate our programs and leave a review. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. This is the Black Friday special for the holiday season. Just for my listeners, the Clean Phone, the top brand in UV sanitizing, is now offering their top-rated, top-selling, best-reviewed wand product at 50% off and free two-day shipping. That's a great deal. The Clean Phone Wand is a handheld UV sanitizer that helps you eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and kill viruses in seconds on virtually any surface. It uses the same proven sanitizing technology employed by hospitals. Who wouldn't want that in your home? You can use it on packages, groceries, keyboards, tablets, money. Take it with you everywhere at 50% off and free two-day shipping for a limited time. It's the perfect gift for anyone who needs it. It's super portable and with days of battery life, you can take it anywhere and make sure your environment is clean and safe. COVID cases are on the rise, so get the Clean Phone Wand at 50% off right now, and they'll take 60% off a second wand. That's a great holiday gift for your family and your friends. So go to justthenewsshop.com, that's justthenewsshop.com, and get your Clean Phone Wand right now. This is an early Black Friday special, so don't miss out. Go to justthenewsshop.com right now.